This is UMass Men's Basketball on WMUA Sports. And we welcome you back to the WMUA Men's Basketball Episode 2. We're really looking forward to this one. Special guest, Head Coach Frank Martin joining us here in the studio to talk. Frank, it's a pleasure to have you on board alongside me and Pedro Grace Soares. Great to be here with you guys, man. You know, it's uh, 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 knowing that you guys are here on campus and, and providing a voice for, for students. And um, uh, it's a great opportunity for, for us to continue to try and create a program and build a program that's, uh, uh, that the students want to be completely a part of. Absolutely. we got a lot to touch on with that, and we know we got to get you out of here around 2 because you got A-10 media availability coming up. The season just around the corner, so really exciting stuff with that. But let's start a little bit with last season. So UMass started really hot. It was arguably their best start in over a decade, first, non, or first in-season tournament win since 2013. It seemed like things were going to be all hunky-dory going forward, but then there was a point in which the season all of a sudden turned into a disappointing finish. Can you just talk about last season and basically what was the turning point uh, for the team last year? Yeah, just uh, injuries kind of prevented us from uh, uh, trying to sustain the consistency that we played with the first 10, 12 games of the year. Um, and uh, uh, anytime you, you have a first-year organization and you start dealing with adversity uh, to the level that we dealt with it from an injury standpoint um, it was hard uh, to, to be able to sustain uh, the effort and discipline even you know we kept trying to reinvent ourselves as some of that stuff started and, and you know we dealt uh, like the first one that happens when Noah went down, and mm -hmm. and then same time when Noah went down, Rasul had just rejoined the team after being away from the team for ten days for the birth of his daughter, and he rejoins the team, and Noah goes down. So now Rasul's going to take over. Then he rolls his ankle. Um, uh, he played through the first two. The third one, he had to shut it down, um, and and now Keon is kind of thrown out there, and um, and Key was trying to you know he's. Poor kid, he's a freshman, man, dealing with the burden of, of uh, having to play a certain way and, um, and the responsibility on his shoulders. And then, um, you know, he was kind of starting to figure it out. And, and then the last straw, we had continued to reinvent ourselves as, as a team. As we, last, we lost Matt Cross, mm -hmm. RJ suffered a concussion at the George Mason game, but, uh, but we lost Matt Cross going into that game. Uh, I think we had just beaten Richmond at home, if I remember correctly. I, that, it's, the whole year is a blur. I think we beat Richmond at home to go to 4-5 and five in league play. We had a two- or three-game winning streak to get to that. We are starting to play well. Matt gets pneumonia, and then kind of we started. Mm -hmm. we, we, we were leaking oil before when, when Matt went out. Then he, he was the backbone of our team when he went out. Uh, it was hard to, hard to sustain the toughness and effort that you need to be able to win those kind of games. Absolutely. I mean, it seemed like it was such a promising start. I mean, going through those games when you're winning, just tooth and nail wins, you know, by single digits, the victory margin. I mean, taking down Colorado, Murray State, all those teams, Charlotte in the finals. Um, and then once you got to the, the conference play, that's when the record kind of started to take a hit because of all those injuries. 6-12 and 12 in conference play um, and really – just going off of that, what lessons did you learn throughout that entire first season you had at UMass? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I understand the Atlantic 10 better now, uh, but regardless of my understanding of the conference, um, you, you go through the season again and, and you realize where we were at, uh, where we're, I think we we're 8-1 and one or 9-1, and one, somewhere in there, at a certain point in the season with five mm -hmm. or six wins away from home. Um, we, we were playing really good basketball especially to close out close games uh, we, we were figuring that out uh, to the, your point at the beginning about winning a, a, a uh, in-season tournament for the first time in a long time I mean we can look at a lot of things and um, you know I think we won 15 overall games if I remember correctly I think that's the second most in the history of the school by a first year coach mm -hmm. that sounds good for me but it's not the reality of how we ended the season. And that's not – that's, you know, at the end you're looking to grow. And 
Um, uh, what happened to our team is the bottom line is you know, we were four and five in league play, 13 and eight overall, if I remember correctly, when Matt went down, and then the rest of the way we were two and seven. And uh, uh, one of those two wins, I was really proud of the guys, which was St. Bonaventure at home. On you know, Matt came back for that game. Uh, and we gutted out that game and, and figured out a way to win because they had beaten us pretty good at their place to start conference play. So uh, we were able to close out the, the home portion of the season the right way. And now you take that and you, you build on it. Obviously, the last time we played at uh, in the conference tournament against Richmond, that was embarrassing. That was, that was just a team that was just defeated. That's mm-hmm. the, before the game starts. And that's, that's what happens when you've got – uh, adversity, and you've got a team that lost confidence, and that's that's who we had become. And uh, um, you know, and you can have injuries to your centers and your power forwards, and to a certain extent, your shooters, and you can kind of survive. You start having multiple injuries at your point guard spot, you're in trouble, and um, uh, it's really really hard to win with with point guard play that's not prepared uh, to help you win. You did mention a lot of the injuries that meant a lot of the freshmen got thrown into the fire. You saw Keon and, and Rasul to a certain extent, extent mm-hmm. not a freshman, but in his first playing season. Is there a, a point in this season where you see a lot of, you got a lot of new freshmen to come in, obviously. Is there going to be or more or less um, a lot of freshmen thrown into the fire again and obviously with you trusting them to be in the court a lot? Yeah, I mean, we we, we got no choice. We, we've got... Uh a bunch of freshmen, and they, they've actually – they're doing everything we ask them to do, so they're going to get their opportunities. Um, but at the end, uh, the way to give those freshmen the direction for, for what it takes uh, to have a chance to succeed has to come from the other guys. And and that's that's where we're in a much better place right now. Um, I, and, and, it's, and this isn't a knock on the guys that were here last year. All those guys were around me, with the exception of Wildens and my son Brandon – Everyone else was around me for the first time. Uh, so I was trying to figure them out. They were trying to figure me out. That's the journey of life, man. And um, uh, Matt, Rasul, Keon, Ryan Marcus, Jackson Cronin, those guys that, that, that they're going into their second year, um, they have a much better understanding of me, and I have a much better understanding of them. They didn't run away from the fire. Because when the way the season – and everybody wanted to be on board when we were 8-1. and one. Mm-hmm. And but the way the season ended, where you go two and seven coming down the stretch, and your last game out, uh, you don't perform uh, the right way, uh, which that's unacceptable. Um, you know, it's uh, the easy thing to do there is to run away, uh, and uh, those guys didn't run away. Those guys said, you know what, man, you brought me here. I believe in what you're doing. I'm gonna fight my tail off to help you build this thing, and. And uh, those, all those guys are in a much better place. They're all better players. They're, they're in a better space. Their confidence level's way up right now. Um, and as a coach, it's, it's fun. Because that's, to me, that's why I coach. I, you know, I, don't, I don't coach for people to talk about my career record and Final Fours or any of that stuff. That's a result of, of a team growing together and doing things the right way. Uh, I, I, I coach to watch guys go from 18 to 22, 23. Because that's once they're done with me, uh, they take on life. And, and, you know, when they're 22, 23, they're completely different than they were when they're 18. And uh, that's, that's what gets me going, watching guys grow. And that brings me also to something I really wanted to ask you, which is when you recruit out of high school now, especially, and we'll get more into the NIL and transfer portal stuff, but when you do recruit out of high school, are you recruiting with an expectation that those freshmen will stay with you multiple years? Or are you thinking more short-term and cause, because they could leave whether they do, do well or not? Yeah, yeah. You know, Pedro, I don't, I don't really worry about that kind of stuff. I, I, I still believe in the freshman model. Uh, I believe in building relationships. Uh, uh, I'm not... Uh, this is not a transaction for me. I can't speak for other coaches mm-hmm. or other players. That's everyone's on their own journey. Um, but this, this, I, if I wanted this to be a transaction uh, and approach it that way, then I'd pursue a professional job where everyone's tied into the transaction by a contract. Uh, I, I still enjoy the the journey that that college sports was created to create was was created. Uh, the, the, the space it was created to fill, excuse me. Um, 
And uh, so I still believe in the freshman model. Here And here's something. Everyone's making too big a deal of this with freshmen, okay? Uh, every team has always had the one guy that didn't get along with teammates or coaches or whatever. They leave. That's never never been a problem. Uh, every team's always had the one guy that, that he shows up on campus and the, not quite as good as you thought he was when you were recruiting him and maybe not quite as good as they thought they were until they got into college practice. And, and then you battled, 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 and then that guy eventually figured it out. But sometimes that guy wants to play right away. And there's a lot of really – this is where coaches used to get blamed. And, and there's no one to blame. Those, those are honest conversations that are had. And then that young person is like, yeah, but I want to play right now, so I'm going to leave. We've always had those two situations. That's never been – like, that's not a surprise. The one that's different now is the one that's having success and he's happy. That's leaving in our sport, in men's basketball. You know, and that's the one that we can't run from. We, we, if you can get a freshman that's good enough to come in here and play and help us win games, and he performs and he has individual attention, and that opens a door where he can go to another school and make $500,000 in NIL money, what's the difference with that or Michael Beasley being a one-and-done and going to the NBA? You know, it's at the end of the day, we all sign up to go to college to figure out a way to make a better life. That's that's the journey. That's mm -hmm. why we all make the sacrifice that you two guys are making and going to college. You're trying to figure out how to make a better life. And uh, if somebody has that opportunity, why would I be mad at them? That's the way it should be. Now, that's where I start paying attention to the transfer portal. Uh, is to, when you lose an experienced player that, that has been through it with you, it's hard, whether it's a freshman, sophomore, junior, it is what it is. It's hard to replace that person with a true freshman in the spring. Then you got to go find a transfer that can come in in the spring and, and maybe fill that responsibility. But again, you better have guys in place that are ready to grow. It's definitely like a new element of the game when you think back to college basketball 20 years ago compared to how accessible the transfer portal is and NIL money and how, you know, there's so many different factors that go into why it's so hard to, you know, build a roster and put together a team. So can you just speak to, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but the NIL deals in the transfer portal era, it's kind of like a new thing. And when you came to UMass, one of your goals was to get them back to the tournament and, you know, to build a program, to mm -hmm. become better each and every year. And it's become very difficult to do that. You think about all the guys, even last year, who've already transferred out, um, Wildens, Noah, RJ, all those guys who are going to be, you know, cornerstones of that program you're trying to build. So can you just talk about kind of the new era of college basketball and the challenge that you're faced with? Yeah, I mean, I don't ever speak for – we're all individuals. I mean, you know, like I made a decision to leave Kansas State in 2012 and take the job at South Carolina. No one made me do that. I chose to do that. Well, this is where the conversation to me gets kind of confusing. When I made that decision, I had to pay – I had to write a check for a significantly big number to get out of my contract because I'm contractually bound. And when, when people start comparing uh, college athletes with college coaches, it's comparing apples and oranges. Coaches get up and leave. Well, okay, they do. Uh, but they pay a significant number because their contract requires a certain number to be paid. Um, and they don't just get up and leave and say, hey, sayonara, have a good life. No, you, you, you make a decision, and it's okay. You can break your contract, but... There's a, there's a check that you're going to write as a coach, you know, um, where, 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 so I don't, I don't really sit around, never have, and worry about the decisions that individuals make as to why they should leave and go somewhere else. Uh, I think we're, as you, I don't like speaking for fans, but if I was a fan, me, I'm not speaking for anybody else, my excitement should be in Rasul Diggins, Matt Cross, and Keon Thompson uh, all three of which were starting players for us as the season went on last year, that all three are back and all three are better players and all three are excited about building this program. I should be excited about Josh Cohen, who was player of the year in the conference he was in, and he could have gone to Iowa or Florida or one of those schools, and he said, you know what, eh, I'm going to go play at UMass. And uh, we, we, we always worry about what we don't have in today's society rather than worry about what we do have. And what we do have is we got a core of guys that are really, really fun to be around. 
the the one place that that the present moment I get frustrated with it. I'm all for NIL. I've I've been endorsing it for mm-hmm. 13, 14 years. I'm all for NIL. Um, NIL and recruiting have to. They got to figure out a way to separate the two. Right. Because if we're going to use NIL and recruiting, then we're basically buying players. And if we're buying players, then players can't complain when they get sold. If you understand what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And and so how do you prevent people from getting sold? Then you got to make them employees and give them contracts. That way, when you buy them, then they're protected, so you don't sell them. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. And that's that's the reality of what we have to figure out right now is how to separate NIL from recruiting. Which, if we're going to allow it to be a part of recruiting, then we need to figure. Then we're going to have to eventually contract the athletes uh, to protect the universities and protect the athletes. So, do you feel as if? Not necessarily that you're put at a disadvantage, but does it make it, you know, difficult with NIL being put into recruiting? You got all these power five schools throwing, you know, big sums of money at um, all these, you know, high recruit athletes. And you're trying to build a program and get guys to stay and looking for longevity as well as success. And, you know, say you did have a great season. Say you went to the tournament and, you know, there go your top three players getting bought out by bigger teams in the power five. So do you feel you talked a little bit about trying to separate you know, money from recruiting. Um, do you have any potential solutions or ways that you could get around that, or where do you stand? Yeah, well, it's it, it, that was the the only statement that was made when the NIL was introduced the way it was, is that it was not to be used in recruiting, but it is being used in recruiting. And uh, I think our former governor here in Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, has a plan. Uh, I don't want to speak on his plan. Uh, he has shared it with, you know, ideas with me in a NABC board meeting. Uh, it's not fair for me to be uh, speaking for him. Uh, I'm excited about his direction with the NCAA. I'm excited about uh, trying to – I'm not a blamer. But like, we, you know, in, in the moment we're in right now, it's like we're always looking to figure out who to blame mm-hmm. for everything. Not not young people, everybody, old people, young people. We just we're always trying to blame. I'm not a blamer. I'm into figuring out how to figure out solutions, how to fix problems. It's it's what I believe in. And um, right now, NIL's in the middle of recruiting. We got to figure out a way to separate one from the other. Uh, solution could be if I give you a scholarship, and you come in here and you play really well. And the school provides all this academic help and structure and everything that's given to an athlete when they sign up to play basketball here, along with NIL opportunities. We have some folks that are worked really hard to create NIL opportunities for our athletes on this campus. And you, as an athlete, choose to break that commitment to the university to go somewhere else, and you sign an NIL contract for a number and this is just, it's hard to figure all this out because of the lack of uh, guardrails that exist in NIL. But if you wanted to, you can make it all part mm-hmm. perfectly legal and mandated. Then as an athlete, you got to pay the university back your academic expenses. That's a contract. But once you start doing stuff like that, what happens? Players are going to unionize. Players unionize, now they're employees. You have employees, then you don't, you've don't. you lost what we know as college athletics. It's not college athletics, it's professional sports. So you lose Title IX, you lose, you lose all the other things that, that, that happen uh, because of certain sports that create the revenue that allows scholarships and opportunities to be there for so many others. You did mention the returning players, Keon, uh, Matt Cross and Rasul Diggins and everybody loves to talk about you know the new toys and the new additions and this team certainly has a lot of them mm-hmm. but I wanted to know what you think the importance is of the returning guys oh I mean if Matt Cross don't contract that pneumonia and then follow that up after losing 20 pounds and being in the hospital and comes back and hurts his knee pretty much right away he was playing like a first team all-conference player I mean in in late January that dude was playing like really good basketball, like the player that I always felt he was, and he was starting to turn the corner. And uh, I mean, Matt, I, I, I mean, I've been through the league. Uh, the Atlantic Ten lost more players to the transfer portal than any conference in America except one. Uh, there's a lot of good players in this league that were seniors and have transferred. I 
that match in the top ten players in this conference. I mean, I'm not into ranking people, and I'm I'm not a self promoter, so I probably do our players an injustice because I don't I don't promote them the way that maybe they deserve to be promoted individually sometimes. Uh, but Matt's a really good player, you know, and this league has some really good players, and you know, James Bishop and and guys like that. The guards uh, um, at St. Joe's, both those guards are really good. Like this league's got some really really good players. And and uh, Matt's right there with any of those guys. He's he's one of the the better players in the conference, and and he's and he's much better now than he was at any time last year. That's where I get excited because I've seen the growth. Um, you know, Keon Rasul. Uh, you know, Rasul's put all the adversity behind him. He's in a much better space. I mean, uh, he's shooting the ball. He's changed his body. He looks like a Division One athlete now. Now, Keon, you watch Keon play now in a practice, you, you, you'd be like, what happened? Like, it looks like the weight of the world was taken off his shoulders. He's just, uh, you know, he's in a different space. And, but pretty soon here we got games. And when the games start, then you deal with the, the public. And uh, us old people, this is where I'm going to uh, kind of compare your age group with my age group. Us old people, we don't, we don't need social media approval. We can put all that aside. Well, your peers, you guys live for social media approval. <laughs> and I don't say that as a negative. It just it is what it is. I got children your guys' age. I get it. Um, uh, so, you know, then we got to manage that dynamic here when the season starts. Absolutely. And, you know, the season on the lot or the season right around the corner, rather, you got new guys, you got old guys coming in. Has there been sort of a chemistry that's developed between these two parties or are they still trying to get a feel for each other? By the way, the way our businesses become, the season's on the line every single time we play. <laughs> <laughs> the days, the days of like uh, patience and all that—that's out the window. It's uh, the season's on the line every day. It's uh, uh, that this—it's a fun group, man. It's a fun group. They, uh, you know, we were around each other this summer. Uh, we had ten full practices and then took the team down to Puerto Rico and and played in three exhibition games. Uh, the score of the games, even though we won, all that stuff was irrelevant to me. I just was so many first-year guys and, and guys that had, that had committed to staying here. Uh, they were all accepting a new role, new responsibility, and I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier with the, the experiences that our guys had, uh, with the unity on our team. Uh, I couldn't be happier with uh, the, the, the growth uh, even from freshmen, from excuse me, from freshmen, from the first practice we had back in June or July, whatever it was, uh, to where they're at right now. It's day and night, and uh, it's a real fun group to be around. As your peers, uh, I think when these guys are walking around campus, I think as as a, as a college student, you're going to enjoy like, man, I enjoy that basketball player who's in my class. He's pretty pretty good dude. You know, I might want to go watch him play because. These guys are—they're fun to be around, man. They're personable. They're—they don't—they don't put themselves on a platform. They—they—they're just—they just want to be college students that play basketball. It's all they want to do, and uh, they're fun. You know, make it makes it a whole lot of fun for me. And so I think that going off of that, you mentioned you know having students in classes with these players who want to go watch them play. And I guess our last question for you will be: Hockey just had its biggest attendance in a weekend. It was somewhere around 15,600, I believe, across that two-game set, which is insane, including 84-12, which was their highest turnout ever for a game on Saturday night in that big win. One of the things that's been at the top of your list has been finding ways to get fans to games, particularly students, mm-hmm. and you've been going out and you know doing these tours of the Champion Center, giving out pizza at the Southwest Concourse, <laughs> doing all these things yeah. to get people to games. What is going to be the difference this year in order to attract that big crowd and you know have that crowd that the team can feed off of, you know, each and every night at the games. Yeah, if you if you go through the top 20 programs in the country as far as home records, they probably have the top 20 student sections in the country in college basketball. Uh, student representation in buildings uh, create an unbelievable advantage for the home team uh, and a disadvantage for the visiting team. Uh, we we've got to create that. That you that used to be here. That used to happen here. Uh, uh, you know, my my wife was a student here in the mid '90s, yeah. and she she tells me she you know she's like Frank. I used to be the star track athlete on campus. I couldn't get in the games, and the students be lined up in the heart of winter to get inside the Mullen Center to go watch those guys play. Now, 
Those guys earned the right for those stands to be that way because of the way they played, uh, the 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 how the games they won, their style of play. Um, you know that got to that. It wasn't like that when John Calipari got hired, and that was rebuilt to become that. The cage was fun. Oh yeah, back in the day, but when when you know Cal took over. Uh, attendance wasn't great. It's just that the cage was a lot smaller. It's a lot very similar to what we got right now. We've got a group of about 3,000 people that come fairly consistently to the games. If we can add our student section to that group, it's going to create a completely different environment in there. And that's why the effort to recruit students to give our guys a chance. we got to recruit the right guys. we got to make them play the game the right way. And then we got to go out and win games. And, but to get to the winning, we got to do it together. You know, the, the, the fans, the students, the players, coaches, we're all in this together, man. We, we, we all committed to representing UMass. And, uh, and as a coach, I, you know, when I ask students to, to, to give up their time uh, and their energies, to, you know, it's the wintertime. You can be in your apartment or you can be walking across campus trying to get to a game on a Tuesday night and you know you got an exam Wednesday morning. That's, you know, that's asking people for a lot. But if we do things the right way, then as a student, there's not a greater – one of the greatest parts of being a college student is having a successful athletic department that you can remember the games and being in the stands because you mm-hmm. get access to the games because being a student, you get in there. Uh, and you get to live the success of those athletic teams during your college career. I, I'll be in airports right now, and I have st- m- uh, men and women that were students of South Carolina – that come up to me, or K-State, come up to me, and they're like, man, you made my career while I was in school. Being a part of those games and that, that, those runs and that success, I got stories from my life for the rest of my life. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. And that's, that's what the whole part of the college experience should be, and it should include the athletic teams doing their part. That's where the hockey team was so fun to watch the other mm-hmm. night. I was in there on Saturday. Not only were the, the, was the crowd great, but uh, Coach Carvel had those guys playing at a high, high, high level. They were relentless, and they earned that win, and they deserved it. It was awesome to watch all that go down at the Mullen Center. And, yeah, I remember my both my parents went here. My dad had season tickets for a while, and I remember being there five years old, double XL shirt down to my knees because they were doing giveaways. Mm. And, you know, seeing all these game winners, Rashawn Freeman against UConn, Ricky Harris against Providence. I mean, it really is a lasting memory, and it's something that if UMass can recreate, I think – the student body would embrace it, and hopefully that winning culture will return. But, Coach, we know you got to head um, to your A10 media availability. So, on behalf of Pedro and myself, thank you so much for joining us here on the Basketball Hour. It's it's been an absolute blast, and we wish you the best on your trip to New York. One well, more thing, well, and, and I need you guys to help me with something now. Oh yeah, we're here for it. You guys are on this airwaves now. Better tell your peers, Mullins Madness. We need you guys in there, man. We got scholarship giveaways. We got all kinds of games, performances. Um, get those students to come out there for Mullins Madness. I'm telling you, you get around these guys, you're going to enjoy them. You're going to like how they play. They're going to like their personalities. You're going to want to come support them. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you guys at Mullins Madness. Yeah, 19th, right? That's o- it. All right, October 19th, Mullins Madness. Be there or be square. We'll take a quick break, and me and Pedro will be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the UMass Men's Basketball Hour on 91.1 WMUA Sports. This is UMass Men's Basketball on WMUA Sports. Welcome back to the UMass Men's Basketball Hour. Devin Dobek, Pedro Gray Suarez along with you here in the studio for the second half. If you're sticking with us after Frank left, we really appreciate you. We hope you'll become a normal listener. Frank plans to be on here. Uh, bi-weekly, if not every three weeks. So looking forward to him. He's got a lot to say. And I know, Pedro, you had a lot more that you wanted to ask him, as did I. And really just a great guy, great interview. I mean, he does everything he can to interact with students and try and get this program back to its former glory. Uh, Really looking forward to season two with Coach. Absolutely. And, I mean, he's showing that he really cares about the student body and the fans getting in the stands and all that comes with that. So, we thank him a lot for his support, and you know it's not always that coaches and, and athletes support student journalism, and it's incredibly appreciated. And we love to be here and prove that we can put out great content for you guys. So if you're tuning in, thank you so much. 
and we hope you certainly enjoyed it. Absolutely, and yeah, to all you who tuned in just for today, we really appreciate it. Um, Frank will be on more, and it's pretty cool. I mean, WMUA basketball, since I've been here, has not had a coach on, at least uh, men's basketball. I know women's has worked a lot with uh, Coach Verdi, and also Mike LaFleur is going to become um, a big part of their show, but to have Frank Martin on is legit. I mean, he's a very humble guy himself, but we'll speak for him. 110,000 followers on Twitter. You know, he's been to the Final Four. He's coached at big schools. He's had these big opportunities, and now he's here at UMass trying to replicate it. And I think, fans, if you can just get to a game, be in the game, cheer the game, students as well, just go, enjoy the environment. They might not win every game. That's the reality of college basketball, especially in the era we're in. But if you can create an environment that's fun, people are still going to want to come back. It doesn't matter win or lose. You know, if you can be in it, have everybody booing during free throws, chants nonstop. You know, you put 3,000 students in there, you're going to have a good time. That's the reality. So I think if we can find a way to do that, and of course, it, it goes hand in hand with the team's success. The team wins, more people want to go to the games. And I think back to the Penn State game at the Mullen Center a couple of years ago, pretty much a packed student section. Was it the t-shirt giveaway? Maybe. But everybody had a great time. I mean, they beat Penn State at home. I think the crowd had something to do with that. DeAndre Dominguez running up to me in the front row and, you know, giving me a handshake. They were enjoying that. The players enjoy that. And I think if we can find a way to recreate that atmosphere, I think this team, you know, could kind of feed off that. And that 6-12 and conference record could all of a sudden become 12-6. and Oh, 100%. And like you said, it goes hand-in-hand with team success. It's almost like a snowball effect in a way because if the team is good, students will get in there and the crowds will be packed. And that, in turn, or and that then translates to the team playing better and it being a real advantage to them playing at home. You know, home advantage was not always something that UMass had last year. And it was clear when they struggled against teams that they probably should have beaten. Had the students and the crowds been packed in those games, I feel like the energy just has such an impact that people don't necessarily appreciate. So if you're a student and you're a fan and you're going to the stands and, and to the games, it's not like you're just doing it for your fun. The team will play better because of it. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes you got to get the students in the door first for the team to be good. It's just tough. But end of the day, bottom line, get to the games. I mean, you're only in college once. You have free admission with your U card. You have no excuse not to be in that building. Create the atmosphere. Make it difficult to be the other team. I mean, I remember I talked a little bit about it when Frank was here, but when I would come with my dad when I was way younger, these student sections, I think they would be half naked, you know, holding up newspapers while the visitors were going. And I'm not saying we need to recreate that because obviously times have changed, but, like, you got to create something that's tangible, that is UMass. And I think that, you know, there used to be, I think they called it uh, the Sons of Liberty that used to go to every game or the militia. They, they were bu- huge student groups. And they would create, you know, all these chants and stuff. And Reindeer tried to, he's tried, like, everything to, you know, bring that atmosphere back. But it just hasn't been working. So just get just get in the door. You know, sit behind a pole. Just be there for the atmosphere. Root for the team. And I guess, yeah, that's all I got for that. Hopefully we can get more students to games. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's that simple, really. It's a great time if you're a student and you're a fan. And then, you know, if everyone starts doing that and starts showing up, then the team will be better for it. So... Yeah, I mean, do you still uh, about 20 minutes left on this? We can talk about uh, some of the things that we weren't able to touch on with Frank here because obviously you mentioned it a couple times. Frank has to go down to Brooklyn for A10 Media today, and he'll be doing that literally now after he left for the show. So we appreciate him a lot for coming in, and, and we know it's not easy to find a gap in that schedule that he has. So for sure. But uh, I mean, roster, Yeah, I don't think we touched upon that. Absolutely. So we were trying to get into the key additions, both earlier and in our show last week. But let's get right into it while we have a final, you know, 20 minutes here. So key additions. There's four that really came across my plate that I'm really excited to watch this season. Pedro, I know you felt the same way about these four guys. So we'll try and talk first. I think one that's really exciting is Jalen Curry. Freshman, three-star prospect, top 20 point guard in the nation. He elects to go to UMass. Number 12 recruit in Florida. Recently average in high school, 14.8 points, 10.2 assists with 4.4 boards and 2.9 steals. He is an all-around player, um, and I think he's going to be huge to add to that backcourt that already has Rasul Diggins and Keon Thompson. 100%. It's, it is a young backcourt, but we saw that some of those young players are able to step up and deliver when it's necessary. And I'm so excited for 
I'm so excited for Curry because, you know, obviously you can't really replace what Noah Fernandes meant to this program. And when he left for Rutgers, you know, it's he's experienced. He, he can do everything, especially on offense. He can do everything on the ball. He's a great shooter. He's a playmaker. He can take you off the dribble. And I think, obviously not saying that Curry is a replacement for Fernandes and that he's going to be playing to that level, but I think he's as close as you can get at the moment with freshmen coming in to play at UMass. You know, like this guy could be going to a lot of power five schools or power six. And, you know, it's, I think it's super exciting because his skill set translates so well to how Frank wants to play here. He might not be the greatest shooter in the world and, and we'll see how that develops over his career at UMass, but he is so quick, man, and such a great playmaker, passing around the basket, kicking it out and finishing at the rim, especially. So I'm excited to see how he steps up into that role and, Honestly, I think he could be the starter sooner rather than later, despite just coming in. Absolutely. I mean, he seems to be very well-rounded, which is something UMass desperately needs. And to get a big prospect like that, one who has proven he can play, is going to be huge and hopefully a big part of this program. UMass really struggled with three-point shooting, and I think Curry could provide some of that um, to fill the void that's left by Noah Fernandes. But who knows? You know, it's going to be a fun season nonetheless. But Jalen Curry, definitely a guy to look out for. Um, shifting gears now, we'll talk a little bit about someone Frank mentioned, and that's Josh Cohen, six foot ten, two hundred and twenty pound senior. He transfers over from St. Francis, where he was the NEC Co-Player of the Year this past season. He averaged twenty one point eight points per game, twenty one point eight points per game. That's good for tenth in the nation to go along with eight point three rebounds. He was also in 2021, the NEC Most Improved Player, so a guy that seems to keep transcending his own accomplishments and getting better and better. Frank once again said this guy could have went Power 5. He chooses UMass to try and start this culture, to try and become a part of it. Josh Cohen, what do you like about him, Pedro? Well, what I like about Cohen especially is, is how he translates to Frank's style of play. Last year, it felt like UMass was desperately in need for someone to be able to run the offense through them in the paint. And UMass did not have that. The centers they had were solid, and Wilden Slavek was a great player, and especially on the defensive side. But UMass never really had someone down the paint where they could, they could toss the ball in and for them to go to work down low. And Josh Cohen might be one of the best at doing that at the moment. Obviously, we haven't seen him with great, great competition consistently. But he scored, I believe, over 30 points against Miami last year. And we know how far Miami went in the tournament. So Josh Cohen, I'm excited. Obviously, he doesn't necessarily step out as much as some of the other players that you had last year did. But for him to be able to be someone who you run the offense mm-hmm. through in the paint is some, something that UMass really lacked last year and he can provide. Absolutely. Cohen's special. You know, you really need a guy like that to provide that offense, something that UMass really struggled with. I, th- I mean, we think back to their two biggest losses last year, not necessarily margin-wise, but efficiency-wise. The loss in the A-10 tournament round one, they lost 38-71. to they put up 38 points, offense something they severely struggled with. And then you think back to that North Texas game at the Mass Mutual Center. I think that was the Hall of Fame Classic. They put up 44 points. I mean, these are games that you really would like to win on a big stage um, against a team who's been to the tournament recently in North Texas. And I think Richmond, it's been within the last three years as well. So these are games you're going to want to have to win, and the offense has been a problem. So hopefully Josh Cohen can provide some something to fill that need that UMass struggled with last year. But shifting gears once again, we move on to our third guy, Pedro, and that's going to be Robert Davis Jr. Six foot six, 175 pound freshman guard, three star recruit coming into UMass. He claims himself to be one of the best shooters in the country, and he's an energy guy. He's someone, you know, if you go on his Twitter, for example, if you go on his Instagram, you'll see he likes to interact with um, all kinds of accounts that parody UMass and talk about UMass basketball and just say, like, I'm ready to go. I'm here. I'm ready for it. Um, You see him all the time. And he is someone who holds himself to a high level and definitely has that, you know, right in the sweet spot confidence, but it's not cocky. And he's going to give you everything you got and really excited to watch Robert Davis Jr. I'm excited to watch him and I'm excited to talk to him. I mean, he seems like a great guy, out, outgoing personality. And, you know, obviously I can't confirm yet if he really is one of the best shooters in the <laughs> nation. But looking at how he shoots that thing, man, it's beautiful. And it goes in all net pretty much every time it looks like. So I'm excited to see how he contributes. And he, 
at the wing. I'm not sure how much playing time he's going to get right away, but he provides some size, some length, and that shooting is something that UMass really didn't have a lot of the time. So, I mean, we talk about offense and we talk about Cohen coming in and uh, Davis coming in, and we just talked about Curry too. So I think those three, you got the playmaker, you got the inside scoring, you got the outside scoring, a bunch of players with size and athleticism. I think it's going to be exciting to see how this offense takes a step up if they do give those players opportunities and if those players rise to those opportunities. Absolutely. The bar has been set. I mean, you think about the team start last year, but how much they fell off. You need them to stay healthy and you need them to play together. That's going to be a huge thing. Um, we'll move into our last player that you know we feel is worth noting at this moment in time, and that's Daniel Hankins Sanford. Frank's talked a lot about how excited he is. This is a guy who transferred from South Carolina, was formerly under Frank's reign, 22 games played there, averaged 2.3 points, 0.2 assists, and 2.2 rebounds. Definitely not a great stat line, but a guy whose minutes were limited, kind of in a way similar to what Brandon Martins were when he was at South Carolina before he came to UMass, and you know he was a starter for UMass. Um, and definitely the efficiency is something that hopefully – Hank and Sanford can find a way to get early, but he's just a sophomore. You're likely going to have him for another two, three seasons maybe. Three-star prospect in high school and a top-five recruit in North Carolina. What can you tell us about Hank and Sanford, Pedro? I'm excited to see how he crashes the boards and how he uh, goes towards the rim for some dunks, man, because this is something else that UMass didn't really do a whole lot outside of Wilden's Levesque, which was dunking the basketball and crashing hard. And he's a tough player. He's a big guy. I think six foot eight, three hundred and thirty or three hundred and forty pounds or something like that. He looks big. He looks strong and explosive. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see how he crashes the rim and creates some havoc down low. Yeah, so that's all we have for notable mentions. But now I think we can just talk about the team in general. I mean, we all know what happened last season. But even still, Pedro, as I look back to last season, I don't think there was ever really a point where I thought that this team was going to go over that threshold and be something like spectacular in the top 25. They were receiving votes at times, and there definitely was a lot of times where, you know, you could look at them and be like, wow, maybe they do have what it takes. Um, and I think back to that Myrtle Beach Invitational. I don't know about you, but I couldn't breathe throughout that entire three-game set between Colorado, Murray State, and Charlotte. These games were all really close, and there was a lot that went wrong and stuff that went right as well. But it just seemed like there was never really an identity. And this team was just scrapping together wins, almost living paycheck to ba paycheck in basketball terms. You know, it seemed like they were going game to game, finding a way to win, which is definitely something that you want, a quality that you want in a team. But it seemed like there was something missing. And eventually, once they ran into the injury bug, that's when things went completely south. So just what was your impression of Frank Martin and his team in the first year, Pedro? And what are you expecting going forward? Oof. Ah, that's a packed one. I mean, it, honestly, looking back at Myrtle Beach, it doesn't feel real that they won that in a way because it's like, how did they do it? They beat yeah. maybe two, maybe three teams that were better than them last year. And oh, yeah. they won controlling a few of those games from start to finish, even though they were all closed games. They were nail biters. UMass was able to pull them off, and it was kind of crazy that they actually won that tournament considering that you know everything that transpired after non-conference play and that's something that you have to be careful with because heading into year two how different will it be than year one considering you have pretty much the same amount of roster turnaround and you have even more young players and you know obviously the talent coming in is pretty strong it, it, I would say it's a strong group a talented group but you have to see what they do on the court first. And I think I said this last show, it's for Frank Martin's teams, it's not necessarily all about the talent. It's about how they gel right away. And considering this is a young team, we'll see how they take that pressure. I'm super excited to see what this group does because a lot of people have been very low on them. And, you know, considering what how the year ended last year, they've been careful with their expectations. And rightfully so. I mean, that game against Richmond, that was not good. That was... Probably the worst performance I've seen in, in three years covering men's basketball here. So ca cautiously optimistic, I guess, because it's a more talented group than I think people realize, but also you have to be careful with your expectations considering how it ended. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more there. It was just like such an interesting season. But, you know, I think back, and UMass has never really had this cast of characters that were – 
you know, top picks or the best in the country. They had Caddy Lalane a handful of years ago. He was a second-round pick to the San Antonio Spurs. You had Raphael Putney, who there was a lot of hype around. Um, and you've had, you know, just big role guys like Chaz Williams. He was fantastic in his time here. Trey Davis, they were both integral parts of that 2014 team that went to the tournament. And, I mean, you think back even more. Um, I'm, ugh, these two people with the same last name, they're going to drive me nuts. Oh, the Carters, Sean Carter and Samson Carter. All these guys that just work so well together, and it was because they were here three, four years and working as teammates and kind of building this foundation that made them one of the best teams in the A-10 and led to their tournament bid in 2014. Um, they were a six seed that year, which is even crazier. Derek Gordon on that team, too. I mean, they were legit. They had all these guys that just played together, with the exception of Gordon, I guess. He transferred from Seton Hall, and they just really were able to work together. And that's something that's become so much more difficult with NRL the transfer portal because it creates free agency, essentially. Um, and I'll say that for myself. I know Frank sees it a little different, but it's, it's difficult. And so, basically... Pedro, I talked to Frank about it, but now I'd like you to answer it. When you have this cast of old people, new people coming together this season, do you think they have what it takes to become one of the top three, four teams in the A-10 and, you know, stay in contention to, you know, maybe work their way into the tournament? Again, uh, way too premature. This question right. is very premature, but it's nice to be able to forecast and have an opinion on it. Do you mean this year specifically, or do you mean throughout the next three years, two, yeah, three years. Yeah, what, however you feel, like, it doesn't have to be this year because obviously there's going to be a gelling period. And without injuries, this team could be, you know, at least top six in the A-10. So do you think they have what it takes to get over that threshold, you know, very prematurely? Mm. This group, if they can, I don't know, is Matt Cross maybe sticking around? Uh, I mean, he's yeah. a senior, but if he can get a grad he's gonna year, maybe year he's going to have another year of That's eligibility. So if he does so, I think he's the central part of this group right now. I, I think he's such a good player, underrated in conference. We'll see how the freshmen do. I think this is a big freshman class. I mean, they have the shooting. They have some uh, high-end talent in Curry. And then they have some high-end transfers that they brought in. I don't know that this group can do it. Um I think if they stay together, they can turn into some a group that can do it. This year, I would not be considering um, that very likely at all. In coming years, I mean, hey, you never know. I mean, Frank Frank has done it, so can you really go and bet against him? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm just sorry. I'm cruising around here, and we actually just got some very relevant information, something that you had touched on last week, Pedro, but we just got an email from the SID um, for men's basketball, Sam Allard, and it's regarding Sawyer Mayhew, who you talked about a little bit, and you weren't sure if he was going to still be within the team. So this is the official statement from the team on Sawyer Mayhew. He's not presently enrolled at the University of Massachusetts due to a private family matter. The men's basketball program asks that you respect the privacy of the Mayhew family at this time. Media can reach out to Associate Director of Communications, Sam Allard, if needed. So that's where uh, Sawyer Mayhew stands, which obviously is difficult. Um, you know, he was a guy, I'm pretty sure he went to Brewster Academy, which is where Matt Cross went. So they had that, uh, you know, tie between the two of them. And he's definitely going to be someone that UMass would have liked to kind of explore and see what happened. But obviously, in a time of a personal matter, we wish him the absolute best. Yeah, I mean, he, he the guy, obviously wishing him the best uh, with whatever is going on, whatever he's dealing with. But, yeah, the guy's a, a real player. I was excited to see what he would bring to this team. Obviously, a lot of question marks recently. So, yeah, good to have that cleared up at the moment. Um, I wanted to ask Frank about it, but wasn't sure if, if with the time that we had, that was the best use of, of our time. So, mm -hmm. good to know that we got some some uh, an update there. Sawyer, I mean, it was a very deep backcourt, or front court, excuse me, in terms of how many bodies they have there. I mean, obviously, we talked about Cross, we talked about Cohen, and Hank and Sanford uh, as well. But, yeah, I would say that Hugh Mayhew was going to be getting playing time as a freshman. I mean, he he has a 6'10 frame, and he was pretty agile for from the clips that I've seen. can say I watched him too much. But, obviously, you have uh, Mathakma Jock in there as well. So, maybe we'll see mm -hmm. what that means for him in terms of getting a little bit more minutes right away. Yeah, you get a lot of size with him. I mean, I've seen him in the dining hall. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it kind of 
it's so much size, which is something that UMass lacked. Now, if they could turn him into an athlete, I think he could be, you know, really a key piece of this program. But we've talked so much um, that we can about these new recruits and these guys coming in and what to expect. We're looking forward to it, but I think, you know, to wrap up our show, we'll talk about Mullins Madness. I had the pleasure of going last year. I, I would imagine you were there at Pedro yep. last year. I Absolutely. can't imagine we would be anywhere else. But it is a blast. It's kind of um, Frank's effort to bring back something that John Calipari started in his reign, which was Midnight Madness or something along those lines. Yep. And that correct. was uh, in inter-squad scrimmage or maybe a game, but I think it was an inter-squad scrimmage at the cage at the time that just was at midnight and it drew a lot of students. This is just kind of an 8 or 9 o'clock opportunity for students and fans to go. You get a chance to hear all the coaches talk. The players are introduced. You know, you get high fives. You can get autographs from both the men's and women's teams. Really cool opportunity to just get in with the team and, you know, kind of get a chance to see what they're all about, and get in the Mullen Center, and it's an absolute blast. Yeah, no, last year, we'll see how different it is this year compared to last year, but last year they, they had a bunch of events going on. They uh, had all the players from the women's team and the men's team coming out of the tunnel and throwing T-shirts into the crowd, introducing themselves, and then they played a, a scrimmage among themselves, and they had events going like uh, a couple of basketball uh, games, I guess, like... I don't know. What do you call that game? Where is it like chaos or whatever? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's something, something like, like that. that. It's it's crazy. And then uh, yeah, they did that, and they had a three point contest going on. We saw Sam Breen absolutely light it up. TJ Weeks light it up as well, making I think eleven or twelve in a row. It was pretty cool to see. And then yeah, um, it starts at seven o'clock on Thursday. So this week, like you said, be there, be square, and we'll see what the team looks like for the first time this season. So it's an exciting event for sure. Absolutely. October 19th, be there. I unfortunately will not be able to be there because myself and Jacob Rapper are flying out to St. Paul, Minnesota, UMass Hockey, taking on Minnesota State Mavericks. Looking forward to that out in Mankato, Minnesota. So we will be on our way from Logan Airport out to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, so I won't be able to be there. It really pains me. But hockey, big win against Michigan, 6-3. to three. Hockey hour will be on Friday. I would presume Andrew Golden, a part of that. Um, be sure to tune in if you can um, as he breaks things all down at 1.30 on Friday. But that just about wraps up the men's basketball show. Pedro, it's always a pleasure to have you on board. Uh, for Pedro Grace Swores, my name is Devin Dobek, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much also to Frank Martin for joining us on the show earlier. And be there, Mullins Madness, on Thursday, October 19th.